Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. I'm Ryan Salisbury. I'm Chris Nivens. And uh, today we are talking about uh, something old. Uh, Very. Uh, yeah, as as uh, our new favorite podcast, Goth Angel Sinners, say, uh, we are talking about history today, but we're not a history podcast. That's right. <laughs> we're not a history podcast. <laughs> um. So, uh, Marx and Marxists are never far from mentioning the uh, means of production, which they insist is the basis of capitalism mm-hmm. and, and any system of statecraft, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're to be forgiven for that, considering the material conditions of the time in which the theory was created. Yeah, it's cool. They're reading a 150-year-old yeah. book. It's yeah. fine. You know, um, I like fan fiction and yeah. fan fiction, too. Yeah, we, so. You know, we can't all have perfect opinions. That's I do, right. but... Right. Um, but that's know. why he brought me on, because I have Other extremely people are mortal. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we're talking about one of the world's first... Uh, I don't know if it's... Thalassocracies? Or thalassocracies. Now I'm uh, doubting it. Just say thalassocracy. Yeah, okay. So, T-H. one of the world's first thalassocracies, a word that you've probably never heard of. I haven't. Yeah, but uh, it's badass and you should use it last more. Last month. Yeah. yeah, it's basically a sea empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, Phoenicia. And uh, we're talking about how early states depended on control of distribution as much or more than they depend on control of production. So, one important thing to note uh, before we even start is that Phoenicia was around for... 2036 years uh longer i guess if you count when there are vassals to yeah other states but yeah. yeah but because they kept records on papyrus relatively little is known about it but basically they've existed for way longer than our civilization oh yeah they they uh they're fascinating and in, and in, in so many ways um the longevity of their society was interesting and we'll get into kind of like what part of what enabled that um in terms of their organization, but basically they were a very like kind of articulate and pragmatic kind of society that was more or less uh, decentralized uh, as a whole society, but extremely centralized locally. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, and then you said that they kept records on papyrus, and that's why we know relatively little. And I'm, my intuition is that is that because papyrus rots so easily? Yes. Yeah. 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 And so that was one of the issues with like Egyptian history as well. Is right. Most of what we know is from stone and clay. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we basically have almost no records on them. So they probably yeah. they could have kept completely like extensive records. Yeah. That's why the papyrus font is so shitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You write something that in garbage papyrus font and then it rots like <laughs> it ten minutes goes later. Goes away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's actually something I worry about our civilization too. Like, <laughs> if humans yeah. survive climate change, right. which uh, in my mind, it's debatable whether mm. or not we will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we won't. That's the answer. Future civilizations, <laughs> if they exist, are going to have a real hard time studying us because everything's going to be on, yeah, mostly on hard drives. Exactly. Which, uh, I mean, any any electronic storage medium except for tape only lasts like eight, 10 years at most. Mm-hmm. And then you need specific technologies to be able to read it. Yep. You need to understand what format it's in. Yep. It's way harder than paper records, which, like, all you got to do is translate the language. You just look and then, at it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, exactly. Oh, this marking on this surface, I can I can kind of figure out maybe what it symbolized. There's a kind of a common cognitive, yeah, cognitive pattern there. Right. But, yeah. like So, you said, even if English survives, yeah. it's still going to be a huge pain in the ass you need to, to try to and read any the, of our knowledge because yeah. it's all going to be electronic. and got to run the hard drive, yeah. and you got to run something that interprets gotta it. got to have a computer. you got to have a display, <laughs> and then you have to have... Which without oil, yeah, I wonder if computers will even be possible anymore. 
Oh, I don't know. Interesting podcast episode idea. <laughs> well, interesting to me. It, well, I don't know if we can make a whole episode about yeah. something as speculative as yeah. that. I don't know. First, we have to see what this Elon Musk lawsuit comes out to, and then we can talk about oil and electronics yeah. and shit. First, we have to see if uh, the, who's going to be on SCOTUS, <laughs> and if we're all going to die <laughs> yeah, basically. because conservatives decide yeah. it's legal to like, grind poor people into paste or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> I, for one, look forward to yeah, okay. <laughs> I think uh, it should be legal to grind poor people into paste, but... Uh, you should have to pay a, a steep fee to like, the government for it, like a like <laughs> like kind of like a carbon tax, but it's like a poverty bone meal tax. <laughs> it's gonna be like executive powder from Futurama, except <laughs> yes, the opposite of that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so you seem to know way more about Phoenicia than me, so I'm oh, gonna fuck. let you drive a little more. Right. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm a bit of an ancient history. Uh, amateur armchair kind of geek um i i'm one of those people who like i was smarter as a kid honestly and now i'm everyone was smarter as a kid yeah (laughs) and then you just get yeah you peek at like yeah nobody to hold you accountable stupid as shit right exactly (laughs) and i'm stupid as shit man you learn how to do one specific thing yeah that the government or the or business wants you to do and then yeah exactly and the rest of your your life and then everything else you're stupid at exactly yeah and uh and that's why we're doing this podcast right in my case the thing i'm allowed to do um is uh being under underemployed and and broke as fuck like like many of you but you know I'm really good. But at I know more I'm about really the good fucking at, Phoenicians, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm really good at updating extremely old survey, computerized oh, survey systems, yeah. <laughs> which will obviously be a skill mm-hmm. that will be very useful after yes. the U.S. empire collapses. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. not worried at all. Once we're out of oil <laughs> and we can't even access our databases. All right. So I should just learn ninjutsu or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, ninjutsu is, is perennially useful because um, it, yeah. Okay. Um, so I just kind of had like a sort of a brief sort of list style write up and I'm just going to go through it. Okay. So the Venetians were a Semitic people. Um, there are some theories about the relation of, uh, you know, like the ethnic relations of like the ancient Hebrews who we all know and love to say like the Canaanites who they love to hate and the Phoenicians, who are arguably also the Philistines, question mark, or the Hyksos, question mark, if you're into archaeology and, and whatnot. And, and possibly ancient Japan. Right. Where According to this the theory Hebrews that Ryan dug went. up. <laughs> and uh, so now our solution, we, we, we do have a one-state solution to Israel, but <laughs> yeah. the one state is but Japan. But it involves Japan. <laughs> exactly. We're going to move Israel to Japan. Right, right. That's yeah. our new plan. Japanese imperialism revived yeah. by way of... Most side? they're just more compatible. <laughs> Japanese people just love racism, and so <laughs> right, yeah. You yeah. know, we're just gonna put all the Israelis right, there because right. they'll just get along. That's right. You know, you know um, Israelizing, or maybe they won't. I don't know. One we'll, of those two. We'll just call it Israelizing Japan. <laughs> you know, it'll put hair on your chest. Oh. Mm. Okay, so the Phoenicians were a Semitic people. I think they were North Semitic, uh, based on our notes here. They were called um, Canaanites by like the Greeks and whatnot. Which was a reference to this purple dye. James Con. James Con. Yeah. Yes. Um, James <laughs> Conn. Yeah. Uh, but the, can- the, can- <laughs> the yeah they all look like James. James Con. Um, 
there, this is a reference um, just like the name Phoenicians or Punic. Uh, these were all words that referred to the purple dye that they kind of made their early bank on. Yeah, it's their called, early money it's on. It's called uh, Thalo Blue. Yeah, you Thalo might know Blue. it from Bob Ross's show. Yeah, is how's it spelled again? Like P P H T H A L O. Yeah, fucking Greeks, man. And and so it's they called it fuck Thalo Blue. It's cock, no, for real though, it's Tyrian purple. Cock blue. <laughs> That's what yeah. it's actually. Yeah, but it's purple <laughs> because they couldn't make it easy on us, you know. Um, Pretty much the same color. Yeah, yeah. Humans are shit, man. Yeah. Um, so they 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 had this dye that they made from these murex uh, uh, mollusks, right? Yeah. If you're listening, uh, look up murex m r m u r e x. It looks fucking metal it looks metal as fuck <laughs> like i'm so pretty metal. sure the shell is actually the name of the band if you look at it visually like if you got yeah. two if you got two of those shells and put it on the shoulders of yeah. a leather jacket you look like the most badass motherfucker yeah. alive yeah. people will actually pay you to go to come into their bar um yeah so they would assume that you own the local water source <laughs> <laughs> right, right exactly right right <laughs> mediocre <laughs> um so, so the Venetians were also called Canaanites, which is again, uh, so they're really entangled in this Old Testament slash Torah literature, um, partly because the Hebrews are ostensibly their relatives and they fought over the same lands and coastline. But we're not going to get into that. We're going to get more into the Phoenicians as attested by a lot of the different common sources from like the, the you know the Greeks, the Persians, the etc. So that we can get into like how their society actually worked versus like what the Hebrews liked and disliked about them, because that's kind of more of a religious thing. Anyway, so their motherland seems to have been the Levant, you know, kind of obviously based on what we've said so far, and that's where they founded their oldest cities, like Tyre, Sidon. Um, or, and, and for those who are kind of stupid like me, where is the Levant? Sorry. So the Levant is, if you look at, um, it's basically Iraq and Syria, right? Yeah, well, so Iraq is actually Mesopotamia, okay. right? Um, so the Levant is more like, if you take like the southern, like the very southern border of Turkey and Syria and like mm-hmm. the land of Syria, all the way down that strip along the coast, mm-hmm. down to like the Sinai region, mm-hmm. right? That's basically the Levant, and this is okay. general, you know, general terms. I'm gotcha. not a Middle East scholar or anything, and yeah. I'm sure that my friends from grad school would fucking rake me over the coals for being so imprecise, <laughs> you know, because you know, well, fuck them, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Levant is that like that strip of coastland, coastland, um, also kind of backed by um, mountains and some lakes and rivers, okay. where you had a pretty good front onto the Mediterranean from the east. Uh, as well as access to some arable land that could support you there. And so it was highly contested uh, between like the lands, like the city states and whatnot of Mesopotamia, uh, the Egyptian civilizations and dynasties, uh, the, the Assyrians, Anatol- yeah, the Assyrians uh-huh. and whatnot, um, the Anatolian civilizations, such as like, oh fuck, like the Hittites and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually the Persians as they kind of took over that area. It's crazy the more you learn about this stuff, like the more you realize, like the ancient world seems really empty if you don't know much about it. Yeah. Oh my God. And then the more you learn about it, you're like, wow, there's so much shit going on. I mainline that shit every day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I can't, I can't stop. Um, (laughs) but yeah. Uh, so, so the 11 is that kind of like strip of coastland and like, 
it's insane. It has never stopped being relevant. Ever mm-hmm. since any human did anything, the Levant mm-hmm. has been important, and that is one of the kind of ducking back in and then back out of like Western religion and like Judaism and, and Islam and stuff. That is one of the kind of continuing like con- uh, confirmation biases mm. of the Abrahamic religions mm. is that they come out of that area okay, and they're based on an idea that that area is sacred. Well, I don't personally think it's sacred, but I do think that it is, perennially important to human politics because of its history and its entanglement in historical developments Mm -hmm. as well as its strategic location it's all Mm -hmm. it's all interrelated so the phoenicians came from there lucky bastards (laughs) right and they're like well what if we just found these city states and shit you know what if we make these ships you know and the idea was that they're early their early efforts were... Are we going to make them sound like mobsters now whenever yeah. we're talking? Well, they're basically them. mobsters. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that, right? I mean, you've read the material. You know. But they, uh, apparently their early efforts were probably just like a bunch of rafts that they kind of floated along the coast. Um, but I got that off of like a crusty old Geocities style site, so that who is, knows? That is, uh, from what I understand, how really early ancient states worked is yeah. they would... Um, forcibly relocate people to um like wood cutting camps yeah they they up, basically up were all about like forced labor and relocation yeah, and they would just like they started off by just day, cutting honestly. they would cut down yeah. trees and just float the logs down the river into the alluvium where yeah. the, the actual state was yeah and that's where yeah. they would get all their raw materials yeah so basically canadian yeah. culture is based on like <laughs> primitive stone age society <laughs> <laughs> um all right. Um, so let's see. Uh, so the Phoenician world overall, since since we're kind of just introducing this whole thing to you guys, the Phoenician world spanned and in some ways drove and embodied the transitions from the Bronze Age into the Iron Age. Uh, yeah, they kind of started at the tail end of the Bronze Age. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Like, like things had been rolling for a while, you know. And again, if you don't know, because I don't want to assume that anyone knows that anything that we're talking about necessarily. Right. The Bronze Age and Iron Age were pretty literal. It's civilizations yep. were defined by the primary structural metal that they used. Yeah, which, exactly. Uh, in the Bronze Age was bronze, and in the Iron Age was iron. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so pretty easy to remember. Yeah, and the um, so like Stone Age went into Bronze Age, went into Iron Age mm-hmm. in the in the classic um, sort of classical model, and like like Ryan said, like the sort of standard structural metal. You know, you go from stone, which is not really metal, but it's like it's what they had. It was the firmest thing they could use, the most durable thing. And it went into bronze because they discovered, oh, my God, we can make this fucking shit. Yeah. And then it went to iron because somebody figured out, because iron, isn't it the iron is really uh, brittle, hard to work with mm-hmm. in its raw yeah. form, its ore form? But then they figured out, oh, if we re- like superheat it to right. this, then we can fucking melt it all the way down and then start to really pound it out. Yeah, I think one of the other things you right. can do is forge it. Yeah. And that makes it harder. Yeah, and exactly. Then, right. You, you force and I'm that sure shit. that I'm sure that uh, uh, when we're all dead, uh, they're going to call this age the steel age. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like the fucking ooh, communications age or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. fucking stupid like or that. Or the aluminum age. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. Of the yeah. Two. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. drinking out of aluminum cans right now. Yeah. You know, it's true. Trigger warning. Um, yeah. So drinking DC Brow. Check it out. Yeah. DC Brow, <laughs> the public ale, uh, pale ale. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. I like it. We also we also got slightly delayed, so I've also had a can of sake and a half of 
uh, half a uh, twenty ounce of kratom tea. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I had a few rounds. Doing pretty uh, good right now. <laughs> yeah, had a few rounds at one of my favorite local bars. So yeah, so the Phoenician world spanned in some ways, blah, blah, Bronze Age into the Iron Age, um, but at the same time as as kind of pushing things forward into the Iron Age through their their kind of methods, their innovations, their forms of organization, they also provided a kind of continuity between the two ages for everyone because of the longevity of their presence and their influence and their kind of necessity to these uh, civilizational systems in the Mediterranean area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just the ocean. That's like all, like pretty much everything that you can access inland from the coasts um, in any given region okay. because of their influence. Anyway, um, we saw through our research that the expansions of Phoenician trade throughout these ages basically led to financial and operational innovations yeah i tried to look up some of this stuff mm-hmm. um i didn't have much luck i i've been really busy this week with work so i didn't get to do as much work as i would have liked on this episode but um some early studies and when i say early mm-hmm. i mean like from the 1920s and 40s mm-hmm. um that was still the iron age as we know yeah <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> um they speculated that's the word I was trying to think of earlier. Yep. They speculated that um, the Phoenicians developed early. You can just put the mic down. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. Phoenicians developed early um, bills of exchange. I think is what they're called. There, it's a type of negotiable instrument. Is the the financial term, and basically what it is is a check. So it's yep. it's a, a a piece of paper that you write an amount on that you're going to pay to a, a third party and a second party pays on uh, the third party on your behalf. Right. So there's speculation that Phoenicians developed this, which would make sense because, you know, if they're if they're trading on the sea, then that would allow them to go into a city and then like take an order from someone and say like I'll pay you x amount of phthalo blue on right. this date or whatever right. and then the next time the phoenicians come through right. then they would have the thing for them right phthalo blue also known as phallic purple <laughs> um, <laughs> um and that makes sense i mean we see this in a lot of operational logic again to this day like the phoenicians really mastered codified a lot of this kind of stuff early on for their purposes but it's the kind of logic that we see, like, you know, Ryan, you're like, you work with code and we were kind of joking earlier about like inefficiencies in code. Like, yeah. you know, like, like tell us like maybe like, I don't know, a, a, a simplified kind of bastardized version of what you were frustrated with. Just which, which thing? Well, there well, was you many. rewrote a system, right? Yeah. There, I'm working on this 10 year old, well, mm. 10 plus year old system. Mm. It ha- We haven't worked on it personally in 10 years, so it's more than 10 years old. Um, and I am writing a, a, an Excel report and the person who wrote it basically like their code was like a, like a college freshman's like, code <laughs> project. Right. And I, I basically rewrote the entire thing. Right. And I, I would say I cut out like 70% of the code that they wrote. Right. Right. So that's, <laughs> so. Uh, that's kind of what you see. Um, I think the, the Phoenicians doing here is that. Uh, because they were interested in, you know, as, as merchants throughout time, uh, 
throughout time and space have been interested in maximizing their margins more or less, you know, at least ensuring their margins. Mm-hmm. Um, the Phoenicians also wanted like a nice kind of like smooth system. And so they had these financial instruments that they came up with. Like, um, what was it called again? It was bill a of exchange, bill of exchange. Yeah. Right. And so it was this negotiable instrument da, 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 and they'd say, okay, I give this to you as an order mm-hmm. and then you hand it to the next person and we all get our exchange and we all essentially profit in some way or another. Okay. You know, so you're saying that basically all of their software was imperative before. Right. And then some smart guy came along and decided, well, that's well, dumb. Mm-hmm. You should make it more like declarative and right. and functional and object oriented, and right. use some programming patterns. Yeah, and so they they got on there and they mm-hmm. uh, rewrote all their C sharp code and exactly and yeah streamlined and ran, it, just you know, ran better and yeah. was more easily and like maintainable. Can handle it exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know they were that advanced. Yeah, they're super advanced. <laughs> they're actually ancient aliens, um, <laughs> and that's why the Jews are a lizard people conspiracy race. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so <laughs> so the um, among among other among those things, excuse me, um, they got to that point, and then things were kind of spinning along, humming along so nicely for the Phoenicians that you know when anybody gets rich, everybody around them starts to have ideas about it, which you know I have my own ideas. Uh, they're like, hey, man. Uh- this is my son. He like we be his godfather. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, you come to me on the day, the day of my daughter's, <laughs> the day of wedding. My daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and the Phoenicians were like that to everybody. Yeah, and so they they had to come up with, as you might expect, ways to uh, facilitate and guarantee their continued mastery of regional trade. So they developed sort of. I think coextensively or, or, or um, as a result of uh, their their successful trade, they developed these military wings for their societies to kind of defend themselves. And, you know, it's not like, you know, the military was anything new. It was just like they saw how things were. They saw that, like, oh, my God, we're bordered by, like, you know, the Hittites, the maybe the Assyrians or, like, the Sumerians, the Egyptians for sure, who, like, really influenced them a lot. Um, maybe some other civilizations. The Horde, the Zerg. Yeah, the Zerg. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Alliance. Um, yeah, the Outer Planet Alliance. Yeah, okay. The Space Marines. Space Marines. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The uh, Federation. Um, and, and so they understood that there was a security risk to their to their operations. And so they developed, you know, these kind of military uh, uh, wings of their society, these um, defensive structures and stuff. So, so do do you know like were they more like militias or like standing armies? You know, I actually I'm not sure, but I think because of because of uh, the Phoenician uh, obsession with the sea, mm-hmm. you know, the reliance on the sea. Um, I I would imagine that their navies were more standing navies. Okay. Right. Like maybe like as we've seen in a lot of other kind of maritime. So it was powers. more like the British. Setup. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Like like you got kind of your merchant marine types. Yeah. You know. That's your something militarized. We maybe we should have mentioned is that another like other examples of thalassocracies mm-hmm. could be like the British Empire, the Brits, um, the, the Dutch, Dutch Empire, right. and yeah. we're gonna get into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'd imagine that like the Navy at least was probably some kind of standing Navy or like something prepared to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into like their ship uh, types as well. But 
Um, I'm not sure about their their uh, land um, forces. Their armies would probably just have been. I want to guess infantry. Although they, Based on completely pulling it out of my ass, I yeah. would guess they probably just have like city palace guards or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. It. Let me. Let me. I'm just gonna do a quick Google because I fucking blanked on this actually. Um, let's see. So while he's Army. looking that up, yeah. I'll just go over. I have a brief section about Phoenician money. Oh yeah, yeah. So, Tell me about that. Um, the Phoenician state was because it was a thalassocracy. Um, it was a sea empire, so obviously they can't have like a you know really coherent state because it's on the sea. Um, <laughs> so it was more set up like um, a collection of city states that were um, not coherently under a single ruler, but they had a shared interest and a shared identity. Um, so there was no single money uh, for the Phoenician state. Um, so for much of its history, it traded with other states using barter, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I think we've mentioned the barter myth on the podcast before. Um, so I'll, I'll just go over that again. Um, yeah, go for it. If you haven't read Debt by David Graeber, which... I think both of us would highly recommend. I don't know yeah, if you've yeah. read it. Okay. I've read parts of it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the myth of, of how money works today <laughs> is that we started with barter, we traded with barter, and then some smart guy invented money right. because barter is so inconvenient. Right. Um, and then we uh, later invented credit in the 1960s or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, close, um, it's closely allied to the myth of progress. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, in reality, there's no society that was based on barter as a daily like a means of daily trade right um what barter is used for is trade between different populations or different states so Mm -hmm. um the phoenicians were trading with other states using Mm -hmm. barter Mm -hmm. which you know makes historical sense um but each each city state issued their own currency in the form of coins uh they were silver coins um Taxes on the peasants in the st- in the states, though, were collected in kind. They were collected from their harvest. Um, so, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not exactly clear on what the coinage would have been used for. Um, probably taxes from non peasants. Well, you, I'm you, guessing. What you do is you okay. So you create like a large building, right, with like a high ceiling and a low floor. You pour all the coins into that chamber and then you you dive into it from a diving board (laughs) and swim around (laughs) and and also you're a duck with a a a top hat you're a fucking waistcoat (laughs) yeah no waistcoat yeah Um, and you go (laughs) you have three nephews and you think they're really ungrateful entitled little pieces of shit exactly but yeah you know you got to deal with them because they're family and you have to train them into the trade you know principles of fallow blue Right, you know, but you know, ever since Trump got elected, you can you can get away with not having to deal with your piece of shit nephews as much anymore. Right, exactly. You have Facebook groups where you can commiserate with your fellow, uh, you know, Trump fans that uh, your family hates you and all that (laughs) stuff. But anyway, uh, so each each city state issued its own currency. So uh, really early on, um, they were using just raw copper, um, but later on, uh, silver coins went just like like so like just like. 
just fucking lumps of copper. blobs of copper shit yeah. from the hillside. Yeah, I'm Damn. sure they they weighed it because mm. copper probably wasn't that valuable. Because here, right. here's the problem: it was with, soft and usable. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So we have this idea that we used to trade gold coin like people used to carry sacks of gold That's coins around hilarious. and trade with it. Yeah. Just like, yeah. like 300 kilos of rice in Japan. Yeah. Sure. Sure guys. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I mean, not only do you have to consider that gold was much harder to get back then oh, than yeah. it is now. Oh, yeah. So it was like, more valuable, <laughs> but, but also they didn't have very accurate scales back right. then. So like, there's no possible way they could have traded with gold coins. That would just be absurd. Yeah. Um, especially when you consider problems like coin clipping and stuff like that. And like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the old days, metals. people were, they didn't abs- discover how, how density works until like yeah. the 1400s or whatever. So they yeah. wouldn't have been able to like know if a coin was adulterated, 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 adulterated. Um, yeah. but anyway, so they started off with lumps of raw copper, which probably you could, way with their technologies yeah um yeah or just like from volume or something like that but anyway yeah. um so later on uh they they used uh hack silver or hack silver as it's actually called mm-hmm. a form of money based mm-hmm. on cut but un- unstamped silver that you may mm-hmm. know from god of war uh which was uh that was used early on in the region and then they later went to stamped coins uh right. like the kind that we know of today yeah, you know they had they had U.S. presidents on them, and right? Yeah, <laughs> all the Phoenician U.S. presidents. Yeah, um, who's your favorite Phoenician U.S. president? Uh, uh, William Henry Harrison. William Henry Harrison. Yeah. yeah, because because he was so good at sailing, or because, because he died. He, because immediately he, <laughs> he became president and then immediately died, which you is know, how the presidency should work. I think you've won me over. Yeah, yeah. It I should. That's. I think that's how elections should work. It's like. Hey, congratulations, you're president. And right. then you get to be president for like six hours. Right. You can do whatever you want in that period, but then you, you die immediately. Well, I mean, in that case, we should vote for Joe Biden. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, no offense to that guy. Yeah. Uh, let's let's take a look at which one would be a good one to go from. Actually, yeah, let's go to like their so, sort of um, political organization. Because okay. that kind of touches on the military. Anyway. Sure. All right, so Phoenician government was, again, interesting as they kind of organized differently from other empires. I, I kind of hinted at this before, but let's get into it. The city-states themselves, so Tyre, Sidon, um, what, like Palermo, which we're going to kind of uh, mention later. The city-states themselves were autonomous, you know, they didn't take orders from each other generally, and they were essentially independent of one another as a result. Um founded independently, run independently, and they rarely, according to the record that we have so far, they rarely made mutual political alliances. So it wasn't like, you know, today, the kind of like global liberal order and like everybody wants to pretend to be friends, right? Which is so different from the tone of even a hundred years ago where Mm -hmm. everyone wanted to pretend to be enemies. Yeah. Right. It's like New York. They don't take orders from nobody. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) Like, hey, I'm sailing here. Hey, I'm sailing here. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, my slaves are rowing here. (laughs) I like a slave with huge cans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the so the Phoenician city states were kind of governed by these like absolute hereditary monarchs, you know, um, which like. At least in say like European society later, as we kind of are more familiar with, we we would just call like kings, queens, etc. So they had these absolute hereditary monarchs, um, and those usually dudes. I, I don't know if there were any queen types at all. You know, female rulers at yeah, all. I didn't, definitely didn't see any. I didn't see any at all. Um, so very patriarchal. 
Um, Big surprise. And then some kind of council of elders to kind of support them, give them advice, be like, well, I don't know, maybe you should increase uh, the, uh, you know, the, the currency peg and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think but- the price of Tyrion Blue is too high today. <laughs> I remember when it used to be only 10 pieces of hack silver. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the asses on these Nubian girls. <laughs> yeah. They just show too much ankle for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, granted, it seems like most of the Mediterranean civilizations for the past, like, well, up until maybe, like, late antiquity were extremely free with their bodies. Like, okay. people just kind of walked around they in eat like, skirts ass, and shit. I'm pretty sure everyone <laughs> ate ass. I'm pretty sure. I mean, look look at how the Maybe mural... Maybe not the Council of the just, Elders. Just look at the way those murals looked at each other. Yeah. Those, fucking, those fucking tomb paintings were horny as fuck. Um, okay, so but under these monarchs and, and like the Council of Elders and stuff, which is kind of like that executive branch, who had technically absolute power, you had a couple of other kind of ruling classes or like administrative classes... Uh, first, the priestly class, and second, uh, not, in no particular order, the elite merchant class. So we know that the absolutism of the monarchic rule within their city-states uh, kind of prevailed, but their impressively built temples sort of signify the importance of the priests. Um, and I think the, the temples probably would have been the centers of finance. Yeah, there was, there was there were a lot of notes that we ran across about how the temples really predominated. Yeah. And yeah, and of course those those papers that I saw, I didn't read much of them because they were so old. I didn't really trust mm-hmm. that they were accurate. Right. But it's you know, interesting papyrus. to yeah. It's interesting to mention anyway that yeah. um they seem to think that the temples would have been the ones issuing those bills of exchange or or being the pay pay payer. Of, payer yeah, yeah. The, of the bills of exchange interesting the drawer i think is what it's right so it's just like yeah, america draw i don't know <laughs> there's so much fucking right. financial terminology that yeah yeah never gonna there's learn. a lot of that yeah <laughs> we need a finance guy on here <laughs> yeah a real finance guy yeah yeah um so yeah so it seems like the temples kind of uh centralized a lot of that practice that financial practice um officiated it uh the mythology, which I like to touch on right now, is um, okay. So the so the Phoenician excuse me Phoenician mythology stated the universe was created from two primeval elements, wind and desire. So we kind of have like an interesting the winds dichotomy. of desire. <laughs> the winds of desire. It's like a fucking soap opera. Yeah, sounds sexy. Yeah, mm. um, <laughs> it's like a telenovela. You know, Hachi Machi, as Brian would say. Hachi Machi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because they basically have these two primeval elements, one of which is actually physical and one of which is essentially emotional mm-hmm. or, or cognitive. Um, and it's pretty fascinating because origin myths in any given culture tend to embody and help to creorder, uh, if we're going with Pichlo uh-huh. Okay. they help to creorder the preferred value system of the society, like the regime if you will mm-hmm. and so they frame the culture that sustains the political economy that sustains the regime or like the conservative tradition okay which are so facts did care about their feelings in phoenicia ex- ex- exactly okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> facts as such <laughs> right um 
and you kind of see this with like you know in the u.s you've got the founders chic and it's like oh it's like all these bourgeois like merchant values and and oh we wear like these cute little fucking coats and breeches and stuff and dress like have all these big natives? sexy asses yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> right and trot around calling each other sir uh but so the elements of win and desire bring us back to the merchant class which is that next administrative uh, kind of powerful class um because the merchant class in particular uh whether or not they were officiated through the priest class relied on fair winds and market demand so desire mm. as well and that was the linchpin oh, of the Phoenician yeah, success. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically. Um, so it's really not that different from our society. It's exactly like it. our society. Okay. Yeah. In yeah. terms of, you know, who gets what and who right. cares about what, you know. And, you know. <laughs> so Phoenicians were basics. <laughs> um, you know, no offense to my exes. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Basically, they were like, they kind of recognized. They're like, okay, there's wind and there's desire. We want good winds. We want market demand. We use candles. We worship. Yeah, we want scandals. <laughs> yeah. And we worship success. You know, we got to have it. We got to have it. Um, this brings us back around, back around to some of the structure of society and how they operated politically, logistically, um, is that these city-states, autonomous, independent, um, not often allying as far as we know. Um, they were responsible kind of for their own destiny. They were bootstrappers. What can I say? Mm-hmm. If it works, it works. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, because this modular nature, then the ongoing successes of like one given city-state were seen maybe as a bonus to the other city-states, but not exactly necessary to their successes. But as you might imagine... Uh, this still incentivized them to cooperate among the elites, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, maybe it wasn't necessary to you, but like, do you want to have a hard life or an easy life, right? Mm -hmm. Capital always follows the path of least resistance, right? Right. Um, So they might not have explicit alliances, but they would have what I guess in IR terms you would call like tacit cooperation as opposed to negotiated or imposed cooperation, right? Okay. Everybody everybody just kind of knew the game. Coerce is obvious, but what's negotiated? Uh, Negotiated is like what you usually hear about in like diplomacy, like trade agreements and stuff where it's like, oh, we come to the table. Yeah, treaties and stuff. Now, whether or not there's a power differential is another story, Right. right? It's another question. Yeah. Um, imposed is basically colonial, imperial. Right. Makes sense. Right. And then negotiated is like, oh, well, you know, we're not explicitly telling you what to do, but we might, yeah. you know, but okay. we might also be peers. You know, it could be a China-U.S. thing, you know. Yeah. Whereas tacit could also be a China-U.S. thing, mm-hmm. or it could be like a New York-L.A. thing. Okay. Right? Like, oh, you know, I don't fuck with you, you don't fuck with me, but mm-hmm. we kind of like help each other out, you mm-hmm. know, entertainment, entertainment. We trade some players. We have this rivalry, this but it yeah. makes our hip hop more exactly, popular. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> East Coast, West Coast, you know. Yeah, but ultimately, everybody gets richer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were kind of working on that kind of dynamic. Um, Speaking of which, I'm gonna be calling out Grub Stakers soon. Wait for that. All right. So let's see. Um, so these, so these Phoenician states, um, they kept an eye on each other. You know, this L.A. New York thing, or like this like Chicago thing. You know, just whatever the fuck. They would likely prefer to see their kind of their familiar powers, their familiar rivals do well because they had a lot of overlapping interests and especially because they were all integrated into the same 
more or less stable value chain mm-hmm. due to their reliance on trade. So value chains are another thing we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, any international relations students or students of similar subjects who might be listening, this kind of dynamic or set of dynamics brings up a lot of important questions about cooperation, agreement, power differentials that you guys should really dig into if you are like looking for an essay topic. <laughs> but that's just an aside. So, all right. Uh, Ryan, you want to take it from trading posts or trading posts? Yes, uh, right there. Yeah, yeah. trading posts. Yeah. Okay, uh, trading posts sometimes outgrew their original purpose and became colonial city states, mm-hmm. um, and ac- occasionally graduated further from mere city states to regional powers in their own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most famous example of this being Carthage. Right, and this complicated that dynamic, right? Yeah. Basically. You know, you got your parents, you got your kids, but then the kids grow up. Right. So then the kids start setting the rules. Uh-huh. Yeah. Didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know you know this, but... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm the loud I'm one. extremely so. familiar with this stuff. <laughs> I studied all of the notes before we started. Uh, <laughs> definitely wasn't fucking around. Um, <laughs> uh so, I mean, one one thing that's important about them, obviously because they were a seafaring civilization, was that they were mm-hmm. uh, incredibly good shipbuilders for the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they had uh, fairly unique ships uh, known in Greek as G- Galois. I think it's Galoi. Galoi. Yeah. I guess that is the Greek pronunciation. Yeah, I think it's Galoi. Um, known yeah. in French as Galois. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so they were large and tub-shaped with broad bottoms to accommodate uh, large amounts of cargo. Um, i.e. the Phoenicians were ass men. Which is a good thing to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you just read the next part because this is your jokes. Sorry, sorry. I wrote in some... It's like, Phoenicians were ass men. You know, they wanted as much trunk for their junk as possible. You know, these merchants knew what they were doing. Um, but, yeah, so the Galloway uh, were each fitted with a horse's head at the stern. Um, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, you look at these like Viking longships, uh, you know, in museums or in books, you know, these kind of reconstructions and they would have like a dragon's head or like, you know, like a Viking warrior's head on the front. So these Phoenician dragons symbolizing their raw sexual power and, right, and right. riches. Right. The fact that their, right. uh, that their dicks were on fire yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because they had so much fucking uh, Cause syphilis. I mean, dragons <laughs> are the sexiest animals <laughs> right. yeah, that yeah, exist. Yeah. yeah. Scaly, hard to get around, yeah. get to, you know, get along with, um. Yeah, everything um, you want in a man—hard, right? right. Silent, reflux. angry, <laughs> sitting on a pile of gold coins. Yep. yep. Everything that a woman could possibly want in a in just an ideal it man. Sounds to me like a pretty comfortable yeah. fuck, you know. Yeah. Uh, and my suspicion is that they put a horse's head on the ship because they were all addicted to heroin, mm-hmm. um, and that's what Fallow Blue was was, right. was actually. I mean, they were mobsters, so there was right. You know, people getting high on their own supply, right. and Stuff like that, right? I mean, Fallow Blue sounds like a fucking drug. It name, does, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, I mean, that, little do people know that you blue can paint man. with it, but you can also you can also snort it and boof it. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude is purple. Yeah, but they call it blue. Um. So so. All right. <laughs> so, so so back to ships. Yeah. Um, because of the their their need to defend themselves and occasional incentive to participate in competitive wars between other civilizations. So, yeah. So I don't think we mentioned this explicitly. Mm. We talked about it with 
the other people in the house before we started oh, right with our in my room yeah so the whole thing about their civilization was that they cemented their position of power in the mediterranean and mm. the levant with um with trade yep. so they were not very militaristic at all right they were not very militaristic overall um especially early on yeah um and even later with carthage you know the famous example of carthage versus rome Carthage kind of had to invent militarism for themselves in order to compete with Rome because Rome came at them more or less first. Um, and so, you know, early Phoenicians, yeah, they, they were, they were kind of had a military thing. Again, it was mostly like a defense force or like a kind of like a mercenary, like I'll go along with you guys to defend our interests in common, mm-hmm. you know, because we're regional friends. And, um, and yeah. another thing I didn't think about because – we live in a, I mean, basically a secular society. Not mm-hmm. really, but mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, I'm not going to get into that whole tangent. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> That's like several dissertations. Yeah, 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 we live in a secular society today, so we re- we really think of religion as a source of power. So mm-hmm. they, I don't think they were a very religious society either. Very pragmatic people. Yeah. You know, they had religion. It was tied up in their sort of commercial values. As we kind of discussed with the wind, yeah, they had temples and desire, but they didn't have they yeah. didn't have a church. Yeah, exactly. You know, wind and desire sounds kind of like a cheesy dad rock band, or like a new <laughs> or like age, a forties movie, or like a forties movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a new age sex toy store. <laughs> they got like uh, they, they put those. <laughs> What is that thing they do in Casablanca where they had like the silk screen in front of the, oh, the right. sexy ladies? Yeah, like the like discretion <laughs> thing. You know, ooh, what's behind there? You know what the fuck is behind there? It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Stop body shaming each other. You know, um, but yeah. So they they had these they developed these warships, um, and there's these terms that we'll use briefly. Bireems, which is two banked ships. So they had these ships like the Galloy, but they had uh, rows of oars. So the bireme had two banks of oars. Triremes had three banks of oars. This is how I understand it anyway. Um, and that provided extra propulsion. So it's kind of like, you know, you talk about a V6 versus a V8 engine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know shit about cars, but I know that much. Um, one has one, one has eight Vs. Yeah. And the other has that's, six Vs. That's volts, right? Volts. Volts. Yes. <laughs> six volts. Yeah. For your yeah. You car. put six volts into the spark plugs <laughs> yeah, and it makes yeah. the engine go yeah. pretty fast. Yep. Mm-hmm. But if you put another two volts in there, it makes right. it go really fast. Right. You exactly. No. And 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 uh, the, the the acronym <laughs> PIV means person and vehicle, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Or something. Yeah. Okay. So so, all right. Um. So these the biremes and triremes, you know, they may or may not have used outriggers just like you know any given ship would or wouldn't use outriggers to stabilize and they could also be built or mounted with front facing rams uh which i believe went just above the water line of the ship mm-hmm. um and these these rams would help them to essentially drive against smash into and sink other ships like it'd be kind of like if you rather disturbingly put like a knife on like the fly of your pants and ran into uh, somebody you hated just like ran, you know and just like stabbed him that way yeah um, it's like bull bars right exactly yeah and so they would just like they had no other way at the time to get close enough to another ship without suffering damage i think mm. and so they'd be like well we just gotta like ram the fuck out of them from the side and it's a total power move because it does take that kind of skill with these kinds of ships to 
get your ship to do that with these two banked you know two two rows of of oars three rows of oars you know using one set of oars against the other to kind of turn like a little like water bug but like and then pick up the speed once you're in a direction to get that that other ship fucked over enough Mm. to sink them so it takes a lot of skill to do that so if you can do that you know you're kind of a badass and for those of us who've seen like i did a few times as a child the old period piece ben-hur which is about a much later period but which you know showed that period's use of the same techniques ben-hur yeah, they weren't good battle. at inventing new types of ships. Yeah, at that point. it took them a while, at least in the Mediterranean. Yeah. I mean, the Romans, you know, people really like fucking idolized the Romans for some reason, but they were not really that clever. They were just good at stealing shit. They invented uh, putting lead in your food. Oh, and, yes. Um, that was a critical innovation. They also invented pedophilia. Uh-huh. Pretty sure. Uh-huh. Maybe no, not no. the Greeks. They kind of capitalized on pedophilia. <laughs> yeah. They turned it into something that people could really be proud of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then they also invented um, scraping the flesh off of people with tiles to murder them. <laughs> which, that was some great shit. Yeah. Look up Hypatia a, if you ever uh, get a chance. God. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of Roman shit going on. Uh, that yeah. was a much later era, but the Phoenicians were involved <laughs> at the beginning of it. Um Anyway, so, you know, the trick with, with using these triremes or biremes to ram other ships is that if you do screw up your maneuvers, then you're the motherfucker who gets rammed and <laughs> sunk. I mean, it was just dog-eat-dog dog when you're in these sea battles yeah. at the time. It's and like a so, joust, but cooler. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the way I like to think about it is, like, these, these trireme sea battles, these ramming sea battles, kind of require the grace and power of a figure skater but you're limited by the physique of a giant wooden tub with <laughs> tiny little centipede legs. <laughs> like, like you need to be as good as a figure skater, but you're like a fucking slob. I kind of want to yeah. see now a shot for shot remake of a knight's tale, but with triremes. <laughs> with triremes. <Yeah. laughs> that'd be cool. That would be, that would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the next thing in our notes here is mm. Phoenicia is known as a thalassocracy, a state that existed primarily in the maritime realm. <laughs> the we, most well-known thalassocracy is the British Empire. Yeah, that's that's a note out of place. Yeah, we did we really good. That. Yeah, really good on the notes this time. Yeah. Oh, the uh, writing system. Oh yeah, they invented uh, the alphabet, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, our alphabet is more or less derived from theirs. Yep. Um, indirectly through the Greek and then roman alphabet mm-hmm. um so that i mean it's not something that would be easy to study but basically that was a form of standardization that was really important for statecraft because mm-hmm. i mean it's a whole other topic but writing systems are really a state invention oh yeah um, non-state oh, societies yeah. really did not use writing systems at all um yep. state systems did because it let them keep records and uh, send communications from you know far away and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, another important thing is that the lower classes who were illiterate could not understand the magic yep. symbols yep. that the ruling class were using to yep. give directives and stuff. So um, the Phoenician alphabet was adopted from Egyptian hieroglyphics, according to what we believe anyway there's yeah. no way to know that for seems sure. to be yeah but it, uh, by all appearances it, it was adapted from egyptian hieroglyphics um so they they created 22 letters for their alphabet mm. and um i don't they they didn't have vowels i don't think yeah it, 
I don't know if the, they didn't the have vowels, languages, but they just didn't write them. Yeah, as usually. I understand it, as I understand it, and 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 you know, listeners, correct us if we're wrong. As as always, Peter, correct us if we're wrong. Peter, please, we beg you. Um, <laughs> Ryan has taken on a, a, a terrible failure of a co-host. Um, <laughs> no, um, he's not even in Bahrain, so you yeah. know what's the point, right? What the fuck is the point? You know, I I, I, I don't have any of the Bahraini connections and. Um, I don't even have a South African accent. I'm super boring. You know, I'm a baritone. Nobody likes that shit. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're just going to um, have to talk with a South African accent from now on. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to teach you how to do it? You just get real nasal and flip your vowels on their sides. So um, instead of saying like, uh, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You say, oi, governor, how's it going? <laughs> Can I throw some shrimp on the barbie? <laughs> <laughs> you know they hate it when you say hey, that shit. <laughs> I'm walking here. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> That's good. That yeah. was yeah. That was almost perfect. Yeah. Every vowel is now an e. <laughs> I think. I think if you just make your voice a little bit higher, you'll you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Peter. Sorry, Peter. We know that living in Bahrain has reformed you, and we appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so the Semitic languages, uh, at least in the past, it seems. Because of the way that their structure worked, um, you could omit the vowels because you would know from the writing, if you were a native speaker, mm-hmm. where the vowels were. Oh, okay. That right. makes sense. Because it was contextual to how the language works. Right. And so there was like, well, it's pointless to fucking put the vowels in. You right. You just put the consonants yeah, like in. Yeah, like we could know. most of the vowels from right. our words and right. we would know what it is. Yeah, exactly. that makes sense. So, okay. So that's a linguistics thing and I, I might be slightly wrong on that, but that's my general impression based yeah. on what I've read. So vowels, I think, pretty good invention. Personally. Vowels are fun, honestly. I mean, yeah. how do you fucking get Italian without vowels, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a me. I'm pretty good at Italian, personally. Hey, I'm writing vowels here. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna wear that joke out so hard. Um, so I don't think it'll ever die. <laughs> no, it'll never die. Just like you know, it'll never be racist uh, to make fun of Italians. Um, um, so we already mentioned the three institutions, I think, right? We yeah, we talked about there was the royals, the temples, uh-huh. the council of elders, and of course the merchants mm-hmm. as classes. Right. Um Yeah, so unlike in uh Japan, which we covered mm-hmm. in Sengoku mm-hmm. Japan, merchants were probably pretty high class because yes. that is what the staple. state depended on yep. for its yep. survival. The staple of society. Right. Cause like um, they had farmers, but they didn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Eh, oh, I remember what I was gonna look for. Keep keep going though. Yeah, uh, well, okay. So we just wanted to cover like a few of the the major cities of uh, ancient Phoenician society. Um, despite the several thousand years since their foundation, you know, they, they survived through thick and thin, and many of these cities are still standing and inhabited today, right? They may not be inhabited by people who call themselves Phoenicians, because that's a little anachronistic. Um, yeah, I think there was trace, recently some, yeah. some pundit that got made fun of for calling Lebanon Phoenicia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I think it was one of the God. Iraq war architects, actually. Oh, yeah, Christ, one of those fucking man. assholes. Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> fucking Christ! Yeah, like, okay, okay. Like, how many warheads do I have to suck to get a job like that? But yeah, so a lot of these cities are still around, and there's people in them. Uh, many of them are now not Phoenicians, but who gives a fuck? The cities are there. 
Yeah, uh, because Bi- Biblos is still around, right? Yeah, Sewer yeah. is still around. Yeah, Sewer, n- known as I guess Tyre yeah. in English. Um, Biblos, like yeah, T Y R E is the yeah, the spelling we're still of it. Puzzling over how to actually pronounce that in the original. Yeah, I I am convinced that it's Sewer, mm-hmm. British Tyre. But I I <laughs> tend to pick whatever is the most contrarian argument. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the like, correct one. Tura? So I'm gonna go with Sewer. Yeah, so Tyre. Yeah. Or Sur. Which is in Lebanon. It's yeah. like right on the coast. Yeah. yeah. Also in Lebanon, Sidon or I think Sidon or Sidonia. Yeah, I pronounce it Sidon. Yeah. Or Sidonia, like Sidonia. the anime series. Right. So. Right. Or the anime uh, the tie-in song you know, before they went Sidon is Sidon is a city that mm-hmm. is a, a giant like stone looking spaceship. That's mm-hmm. constantly being attacked Pretty by aliens. show. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that one. It's like <laughs> if you like Attack on Titan. Yeah. And you like space. It's then, like Attack on Titan with mildly better pacing. Yes, that's definitely true. Yes. Um, less gore. Yeah, the, um, I think overall the animation is not nearly as good. Right. Yeah. It's It's yeah. got that, uh, what, are they, it's what do they call that? It's animation. like a CGI style yeah, cell shaded CGI. Yeah, cell shaded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's like, eh, it's The characters right. are, are decent. Mm-hmm. I would say that I like Attack on Titan better by a long shot, but I wish mm-hmm. that Attack on Titan was paced more like Sid- Knights of Sidonia. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because the pacing is really a lot better. Exactly. But you also have to give credit to Knights of Sidonia for um, having at least one character who, as I understand it, I could be mistaken, is non-binary. Mm. Is that correct? Non-binary? I don't or remember like, enough about it to know yeah. about that. But It's either non-binary right. or kind of like fluid gendered or something yeah. like that. Um, anyway... Uh, they're both good series. Yeah, they're really they're really great, and they also both kind of seem to care about like social structures, which is cool. Yeah, it's also by the same guy who made Blom, which I really I really want to cover at some point. Really, I haven't yes. heard of that one at it's all. A, um, they've there's been two anime versions of it, but it's a manga, mm. and it's basically about what would happen if gentrification were taken to the most logical possible extreme fuck it's really cool well have you read (laughs) the time machine by hg wells because that's a pretty good example (laughs) no this is like gentrification if it were like automated and put into space oh fuck it's awesome yeah Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So, so the, yeah, those really old cities, Tyre, Sidon. I'm just going with the fucking cheap pronunciations here. Baalbek or Baalbek, which was later renamed Heliopolis after Alexander the Great rolled in. He conquered a bunch of these cities. I, I can't remember if he called. I don't think he conquered all of them. Um, and then eventually was renamed. Uh, I think it's Alcala after it was renamed. Or uh, excuse me. Uh, conquered by some Islamic forces. Mm. But we don't have to get into that. It's like much, much later. Yeah, that has to be yeah. much later. Biblos. Yeah. Um, eventually, you saw Carthage come up. Was Carthage... I think Carthage was a colony of Tyre. Okay. I think. And then Carthage also kind of blew up. Once. So the city-states administered colonies separately. Yeah. That's basically, okay. They, you know, these trading posts, like they would put out these trading posts mm-hmm. in critical locations because they wanted the best possible spots. And this is one reason why these cities lasted so long. Okay. And they would often, as I read, they would put them on these promontories or promontories, basically like promontory, kind of, I think. Yeah, yeah. Promontories. They were kind of like these like cliffside locations overlooking the coast and mm-hmm. preferably with a river access. Uh-huh. So like, I mean, 
So they really strategically knew what they were doing. That's unbeatable. Yeah. 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 You can't fuck with that. Right. Um, And and so you'd get like sea access, freshwater access. You'd have (laughs) elevation and like half your city could not be fucking attacked. So they would wreck you in civilization. They would fucking wreck you. Yeah. (laughs) They would destroy you if they felt like it, you know, but they weren't a militaristic kind of people generally. Yeah. Yeah, And so um, most or all of these cities were founded at least as much as possible in these kinds of locations. Mm -hmm. And so when they would put down a trading post to extend their, their trading chain, their value chain, they would find a place like that and they'd be like, all right, we're putting it right here because this is safe as fuck. We can get the water, uh, the fresh water, and we can get the sea access. And so then these trading posts would sometimes blow up and be like, oh my God, like this is like, there's a ton of trade to be done here or it connects to another node that's really critically important. It would populate out. It would become a city in its own right. And then they'd be like, uh, we're going to formalize you. We're going to turn you into essentially one of us, mm-hmm. Right again like you know parents and kids the kids grow up and the kids start making their own rules um and then carthage was an example of this a really strong example obviously because they actually posed an existential threat to the roman republic um but they were like an outpost as i recall and then they developed into a city and they kind of you know, once, yeah, I'm pretty sure they came from Tyre in terms of their origins, but then Tyre was overrun by like the Greeks and then, and then Carthage was like filling the power vacuum. Mm. Right. So then they're like, all right, we got this. Don't worry everybody because the value chain had to be fulfilled. Right. Mm. Everybody had to fulfill, fulfill, fulfill their orders. Everybody had to make their money. Mm. Everybody had to sell their shit and so forth. So Carthage kind of just like, all right, here's, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up. And then that led to the power that threatened um, Roman hegemony in the region, and Rome was trying to rise, so they just, you know, they, they, they went back, and these guys had a tussle. But Carthage wasn't the only one. There was also uh, uh, Gadis, or Gadis, which is now known as uh, Cadiz in uh, Spain, and that's, I think it's the... K-A-D-Y-S? Uh, it's it's The old spelling was G-A-D-E-S, and okay. the Spanish spelling is C-A-D-I-Z. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought. Uh, that's what I, I thought I knew. Because you're probably thinking in Greek or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm probably just yeah. a dumbass and Man, was making stuff up. That's whatever. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, uh, uh, based on my sources, that this is the oldest standing city in Western Europe. Oh, wow. Period. Okay. Yeah. Because the Phoenicians were like, that. Like I mean, Iberia was like the, the Western extent of their trading posts, which okay. is, I mean, that's a lot, right? They yeah, covered the whole fucking Mediterranean, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, southwestern Iberia, uh, northwestern Africa, all of that shit mm-hmm. they had. Um, another one that you've heard of modern in modern times is Palermo in Sicily, which they founded as the city of Zs, which uh, means flower in their language in like the 700s BC. But it eventually became a possession of Carthage, you know, and a fellow Phoenician city-state. And then became part of the Romans after, you know, the Carthage got demolished and then eventually was part of the Byzantines and so forth and so on. So a lot of these Phoenician city-states and, and, and outposts and stuff would kind of like change hands, change hands, change hands depending on their power, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they were all really important, which is one reason why people just took them instead of destroying them. You know, Carthage and maybe Tyre, they were destroyed because they were so powerful, Okay, you know? Um that they were considered worth destroying. Uh-huh. Right. 
but okay yeah so so getting back to let's see we talked about flower blue we talked about exchange uh, bills of exchange i have um, a bunch of things here from this one paper that's like a bunch of oh yeah important changes yeah um that we have some interesting notes on so yeah, I'll just now we're getting these. into the more like nitty gritty because we've yeah. we've just barely scratched the surface. Yeah, guys. like Phoenicians had a lot going on. Yeah, despite <laughs> us not having a whole lot of knowledge of them yeah. relatively. Yeah, since they were a two thousand year civilization, we still do have mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is from I don't think I have the title or anything of the paper here. So it's from some study. <laughs> it's out there. Just look at the show notes. It's online. I'm just gonna put the show notes in the show description. So yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're actually interested, we just have a bunch of sources. Yeah. It's on page like six or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, yeah, this is going over some important developments. So I'll just go point by point. Mm-hmm. So in place of bureaucratic and palace-centered diplomatic and trading networks of Bronze Age internationalism, mercantile city-states became the building blocks in a new economic framework. Um, so uh, temples rather than palaces became the symbols of communal consciousness and economic success. Mm-hmm. And merchant enterprise rather than state controlled exchange became the dominant mode of trading activity. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, uh, we've pretty much talked about that already. Yeah, we, we set that up for sure. Um, um, and then another one that we've already mentioned, but not really went into too much mm-hmm. um, the production of iron. So the spread of iron working inevitably subverted systems based on the acquisition and circulation of bronze. And since control of the system was fundamental to the character of Bronze Age polities, this alteration was an irrevocable step in preventing the reemergence of these kind of centralized economies. Um, so basically, because they controlled the uh, processes mm-hmm. and technologies for iron working, yep. they were able to subvert the um, the rise of um, states like the old type of states yeah. that were based on sort of central planning more yeah, or less exactly, exactly. Um, using uh, iron technology because all they had yeah. access to was bronze yep yep um, let's see I guess I'll skip yeah the use of iron and uh, production and use of iron in the in the uh, er, like late bronze age early iron age was uh, I mean, it, it was a fucking king killer. Like, yeah. as soon as anybody was able to organize the production and distribution of iron, because mm-hmm. it was such a highly superior technology. Yeah, I'm just imagining people like slicing through swords. Yeah, it was literally how yeah. it basically went. Like, like you would produce these iron weapons. Iron used to be more like like shoving a spear through someone's bronze armor. Yeah, would exactly. Be the, the real thing. Exactly. Yeah. Just incredibly superior. I mean, like yeah. a warhead versus like a conventional bomb. Right. You know? Gun versus a sword. Exactly. Yeah. Head yeah. and shoulders. Right. And so if you had iron forges, you were about to become a major player. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the other thing in their trade was, um, Chris has mentioned value chains a couple mm-hmm. times. And th- mm-hmm. this isn't the really contemporary economic term which right yeah it's value similar, chain and contemporary yeah value chain and contemporary economics is basically um other than the immediate production process for something right all of the other roles that go into making it possible so like in a given company like 
the HR department would be considered part of the value chain, even though it's right. not directly involved in the production right. process. Because but in it's this part case, of like assurance or something. Yeah. yeah, but in this case, it's it's basically a series of steps. It, it, it's more like supply chain, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a series of steps in the in a production process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to ultimately produce uh, a, a usable end product. Yeah, yeah. So if we, yeah, if we look at like material production and trade mm-hmm. versus say uh, like valuation, mm-hmm. that's kind of where that difference lies, yeah. right? Yeah. So in this case, it's kind of like it's sort of like an assembly line, but distributed over mm-hmm. a large like multiple <laughs> over the Mediterranean. Yeah, multiple organi- <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the, the, your your conveyor belt. You know, your assembly line starts in, say, the Levant, where, yeah. the, where the Murex mollusks live. Right. And then, you know, just theoretically, right? Yeah. Hypothetically here, you know, and then ends in, like, Greece or right. fucking northern Italy, you know? Yeah. And, and so, it, like, an assembly line, it, yeah. it allows all of these different groups to produce a, a product mm-hmm. while each of them have no knowledge of how to actually produce it themselves. Right. Exactly. Sem- and they don't have the to. power exactly. of the state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which leads to a few other, um, developments in their economic structure, mm-hmm. in their emphases, um, kind of like their, their, the business concerns, right? Yeah. Uh, which we kind of talked about before. There was two things in particular. One is security, and the other is specialization. Right. Exactly. Um, because... Well, because... because sorry. <laughs> Caught you again. Sorry, I'm sorry. Because um, uh, we talked about like it. I totally assume, assume, That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Um, because... Okay, let's see. So specialization first. Specialization, as you already kind of right, yeah. Led so up to. so states states uh, since there were multiple states existing, they were able to become mutually dependent on one another. Exactly. So as opposed to if you just have one state, you have to produce everything yourself. Right. Which um, is very cost intensive, labor intensive, right, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the effect of it being costly is that you just can't produce as much right so when you have multiple states that are mutually independent on one another um you can have states that specialize yep so um uh, the phoenician state can specialize in producing purple dye right <laughs> and right iron and glass and stuff like that yeah exactly yeah and that's one reason why like, some of those trading posts uh, were probably able to emerge as city states proper because yeah. they weren't necessarily just um access points to say like a large local labor or trading network they were also potentially becoming um centers of uh like 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 modules of production along that value or supply chain where they're like oh we're we we refine such and such Mm -hmm. you know or a number of goods you know yeah and then they were able to increase that value, you know, 10 or 100 fold along yeah. the chain. And I'm sure at a certain point they realized like, oh, we actually have leverage now because exactly. you need us for X. Right. You know? We've monopolized right. that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and then security came in because as we mentioned, you know, as you develop these these trade networks and these supply and value chains, um, you know, you got to assure, um, you got to guarantee that they're A, gonna survive the trip 
Mm. You know, they're not going to get pirated, raided by by other city states or other civilizations or mm. whatever. Um, uh, but also that once they get there, that they're not going to just get you know um, absconded with by the people at the destination. Mm-hmm. You know, so two different concerns there, as well as probably a variety of other sort of smaller concerns. Um, but along the way, um, security regimes were managed and articulated by those local, those city states and the local regimes on their own behalf. Mm. But you would imagine that again, it, it's kind of like this this path dependency concept in economics, where things follow on to each other, mm. you know, and like everything that came before somewhat predetermines what comes after. It's very it's very kind of like logical stuff, yeah. but it's something that you have to add into your logical framework in order to understand why things happen the way they do. So the security frameworks, the security regimes, followed onto the supply chain, value chain regimes. And the emergence of various city states from trading posts and colonies and so forth. I know I'm talking a lot, but basically <laughs> say a Carthage, again, famously a a a an existential threat to Rome due to their maritime economic competition, um, for various reasons, they had a variety of value adds and uh, let's see what else. I, I assume they had maybe production centers and stuff like that, but because of that, then they had to have a security regime to protect that from uh, interlopers, and so that led to their entanglement in politics overseas, and that led to their rivalry with the Romans, and that led to the wars with the Romans, which led to them nearly destroying Rome. They could have actually done it fairly easily once Hannibal was in Italy. But there was other strategic considerations, and then that led to Rome destroying Carthage, and that led to the sort of the final analysis of Phoenician civilization as we know it. That was a tangent, but that's a that's a nice <laughs> little apocalyptic thing. Um, um, so there's there's a bunch of other things here, but um, since we're starting to run a little bit long, um, yeah. I'm going to skip ahead to just this last one. So um, I already mentioned that there was no single state uh, currency. Right. And uh, one of the things that when I read that, uh, one of the things I speculated about was um, they probably, I don't remember why I thought this because I'm not at a hundred percent right now anymore. (laughs) Um, Same man. uh, So maybe I'll be able to explain it in the show notes or something like that after I edit all Maybe I'll put it in there, but basically, I suspected they probably had a large slave population. Yeah. Um. And so, yes, they uh, they did have a large slave population. Um. So, increasingly, Phoenicians had chattel slavery. Mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. Alongside the forms of uh, household slavery, like patriarchal slavery. Right. And so, uh, slaves became a commodity traded in large numbers. And were applied to large-scale construction and, and industrial works, mm-hmm. um, including agricultural and mining work. Um, slave populations might then have been uh, ethnically distinctive, often brought from considerable distances. And this matches up with uh, a lot of early statecraft, which mm-hmm. used a lot of forced resettlement, where mm-hmm. they basically 
took an entire population from wherever they were living, forced them to move somewhere else, yep. and you usually they would raise their cities so that they had nowhere to go back right. to. Right. Um, and and this would have probably been even easier for them because they have this whole network of exactly. city states that are far apart from each other, so they exactly. can just take them from. You know, if they took them near a sewer, they could take them to, you know, Sedan or whatever. And right. they would be so far away that there's nothing they could do. And all they could they do could is do. work. Just work. Yeah. 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 And this was um, exactly what you said. Like, their network really enabled them to do this um, shipping, like, long-distance shipping of, of slave populations, uh, you know, from one place to, like, a completely alien place to those people. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing is that the Phoenicians were heavily influenced by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians made a they practice. They fucking loved of, slaves. They loved <laughs> slaves. And they loved doing this thing where they'd, like, just fucking destroy your shit. Yeah. You know, raise it to the ground, take all the people who were left, and just sell them or, you know, acquire them for their own purposes, you know. So the Put Phoenicians some guy were like, like CC in power. Yeah, right, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, and 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 yeah, so the Phoenicians were just like, oh, that I mean that works, you know. Yeah. And and we could make a ton of money as well as actually incorporate that into our own apparatus. Yeah. 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 So I almost wonder if even like uh since they didn't have like a a state currency, they, they maybe mm-hmm. the city states traded slaves with one another. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, slaves are have always been in in a slave society slaves are are one of the the key yeah uh, kind of trading kind right yeah. yeah um so to wrap it up uh mm-hmm. the connection with modern political economy um mm-hmm. ugh, sorry <laughs> um so we could compare the phoenician uh state of the day to today's state of capital where mm-hmm. Um, today there are distinct nation states, each with their own set of laws, culture, their own money. Um, but in practice, they're somewhat like the distinct city states of Phoenicia in that they are right. part of a larger de facto super state mm-hmm. that exists out of shared interests mm-hmm. and, a, and a loose ethnic association. So mm-hmm. this is totally speculative on my part, but um, the Phoenicians were a Semitic ethnic group with a shared origin, much like the Anglo-Saxon ethnic group that currently rules the world. Yep. But Again, the history of Phoenicia spans 2,000 years across distinct city-states and distinct regions, mm-hmm. um, which is way longer than than Americans have been separated from their English motherland. So, like, even if you consider Americans, like, a distinct ethnic group, you would right. have to consider, like, people in Sur distinct from people from Sudan because yeah. they've been apart for so long. Yeah. They yeah. have to have developed their own individual like shared culture exactly yeah. exactly regionalism is always important you know um, yeah. even if they had those shared interests and whatnot the, the sort of the tacit cooperation we talked about right yeah, yeah yeah and then of course there's a similarity of them being based on merchant right culture and right yeah you, you've got that like well like we talked elevating about elevating religion to the highest culture yeah the reordering yeah. your value system right yeah yeah so that you can maintain it yeah because i mean while i mean i guess Today we have kind of a hybrid system where mm-hmm. we do maintain power a lot through military action. Yeah, the U.S. has bases in almost every country on Earth, but the the primary thing, mm-hmm. f- the primary part of our system of statecraft is trade. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're obsessed with it. Right. You know, quote unquote free anything is is you know our our fucking lunch. Yeah. You know. Do you have anything else to add? 
Uh, not really. Um, do we have any other podcasts, fellow podcasts we can plug from this one? Or um, I can't really think of anything. About this subject? I don't think so. Well, not on this. <laughs> I would be surprised if any given podcast went after Phoenician political economy. Well, I mean, still like ancient ancient political economy is yeah. still, yeah, not really. Not well documented um, generally. But we do, I just, I added a neighbors section to oh, yeah. the website. Nice. Which is, um, postscarecitymagazine.com is still up. Cool. Um, it still contains all of the episodes prior to season three. Uh-huh. Um, so all the ones with me and Peter are up there. Um, nice. Eventually I'm going to add a redirect to the new site, which is neighborscience.podbean.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't need the Podbean app to access those oh, episodes. Yeah, you- um, some people seem to think that you do. Um, you can get it on any podcast app except for Spotify as, uh, <laughs> Chris's roommate pointed out. <laughs> um, I'll try and eventually get things on Spotify. The The problem is uh, a lot of our episodes, not a lot, but a few of our episodes have copyrighted music in there. So I have to remove it before I can put it on there. Um, so yeah, any podcast app except for Spotify currently has our episodes on there. Um, there was an issue where it was only putting out the most recent 20 episodes. Mm-hmm. So someone was trying to find an old uh, one of our capitalist power episodes and couldn't find it. Oh yeah. Um, so they, they thought it was, those are the good ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are the good ones. Those yeah. Are yeah. Um, but that's, that's fixed now. So until we get a hundred episodes, we'll be good. <laughs> and then it'll start limiting them again. Um, so yeah, neighbor science.podbean.com post com still has the zine still has seasons one and two of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our Twitter account at neighbor Um, and then um, Instagram and Facebook and Patreon are all neighbor science. Mm-hmm. So you can look for them on there. Um, and is that it? I think that's, that's it. That's about it. I yeah. mean, we can find you at uh, what? Yeah, handle? I'm, at, I'm at Handle of Rye. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris is at Solidarity underscore Goth. Although that's he's, right. He's trying to take a Twitter break. I've been so. I've been taking a bit of a break. I yeah, just don't need to clear him. my head. Uh, <laughs> but feel free to follow me or uh, tweet abuse at me. Uh, I can take it. Uh, <laughs> I'll be back in probably like a week or two just to kind of uh, say dumb shit all over again. Yeah, and embarrass myself. Yeah. So um, yeah, if you enjoyed that, the next I think the next episode we're gonna do is um, companies spying on behalf yes. of the government. Yes. And then. Hopefully, we'll, uh, that'll give us enough time to do the um, the Dutch East India Company episode. Yeah, the, the, which the, we might maybe maybe we'll we will combine it with the Maersk one because I don't know if we'll have enough on each, but maybe we will. I don't know. You know, I I I would I'm love, more worried about Maersk. Yeah, I think episode. we'll have to talk about how we want to do the next few episodes on Maritime Empire. Yeah, yeah, but um, so we're doing a couple Thalassocracy episodes. Yeah. Yeah, we want to really kind of get onto that, talk about the political economy of that. Distribution is really important for them, so that's that's of interest to us. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the episode on um, companies that spy, mm-hmm. it's just going to be three hours of us running out of breath listing the names of companies, <laughs> and, and that's the whole episode. <laughs> uh, also, um, we implore you to um, buy a lot you know, endless amounts in fact of tin foil so that you can craft helmets Hats. yeah 
you know, for yeah, protective headgear. Yeah. Um, but but make sure that while you're wearing the protective headgear, you are actually listening to our podcast and none else. Right. Right. This is the only safe podcast. But you can also listen to Goth Angel Sinners or Leftendo. Yes, those are almost as safe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I'm running out of steam. Yeah, me too. It's way past my bedtime. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's time for me to start drinking again. All right, bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>